You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Keith Sanderson, animal advocate, writer, and human companion to Max A. Pooch, canine crusader for animals and the environment. Max and I thank you for joining us, and we dedicate this episode as we dedicate every episode to those amazing people who work to save the lives and or improve conditions of companion, domestic, or wild animals. Our guest today is Mike Phillips, Community Outreach Representative for the New York City Feral Cat Initiative. Mike is an expert on the topic of feral cats and the humane treatment and socialization of them. He works through the five boroughs of New York City raising awareness of feral cats and even travels around the country talking to cat rescue groups about this subject. We'll meet Mike Phillips right after this word from our sponsors. We'll be right back right after these messages. Stay tuned. Introducing the new Brett Michaels Pets Rock Collection, exclusively at PetSmart. I created it for the pets that rock your world. Shop the Brett Michaels Pets Rock Collection and celebrate PetSmart's 25th anniversary with up to 25% off thousands of items on the PetSmart site. Plus free shipping on orders of $49 or more. Go to PetSmartDeal.com. That's PetSmartDeal.com. P-E-T-S-M-A-R-T-D-E-A-L.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates. I'm your host, Keith Sanderson, and our guest today is Mike Phillips, Community Outreach Representative for the New York City Feral Cat Initiative. Welcome, Mike. Thanks for being with us today. Well, it's my pleasure. Always happy to talk about feral cats. Well, that's great. Hey, first of all, can you tell us a bit about the relationship between the New York City Feral Cat Initiative and the Mayor's Alliance for New York City's Animals? Yes, the uh, Feral Cat Initiative was created. It's a program of the Mayor's Alliance, and it became clear, well, I believe it was clear to Jane Hoffman, our leader, uh, even before that including feral cats in any program working toward no-kill or managing cats in any community, you have to include feral cats in the scheme of things or you're not going to uh, ever achieve the uh, ultimate goal of you know, low kill and numbers getting down and getting the whole picture under control. She understood that from the very beginning. But with funding and, you know, other things, other people were slow to understand. But it became clearer and clearer after the programs were established with the Mayor's Alliance in the beginning that as everything else came under control, it became very clear that if we didn't do something, to control the growth of feral cat populations, but that it was a squeaky wheel. It became very clear that that needed to be addressed. Okay. Now, the Mayor's Alliance is a coalition, really, of 150 organizations in New York City. Is that correct? Yeah, and counting. And counting. It's always growing. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> yes. great. But you're a direct part of the We're alliance. a program. We're a program. 
And we also are kind of an umbrella for the specifically feral cat-related groups. Adoption and rescue groups work primarily with friendly adoptable animals, and the feral cat groups work primarily with implementing trap neuter return with the feral cats or the community cats living on the street. But of course, it's never that clear cut. Both groups overlap. The feral cat groups are often finding a friendly cat that's either been lost or thrown out on the street and can be brought in and adopted. And then vice versa, the adoption and rescue groups are often finding a feral cat and then the collaboration starts. But actually, both groups, there's expertise. Many groups have expertise in both areas, and they have volunteers that are specifically working both sides of the fence. Then what's the mission of the New York City Feral Cat Initiative? Is it awareness, or or what is it? Well, ultimately, we'd like to see as few cats on the street as possible. So we're trying to spay and neuter, stop the reproduction, And if we stop the reproduction, we can fool Mother Nature and slowly take care of the cats that are out there. We want to show compassion and humane treatment for cats that are out there. Oh, my friend Lauren always says TNR stands for trap, neuter, return, not trap, neuter, and run. After you return the cats, we provide shelter where necessary. They get daily food and care. We keep an eye on them for health and and well-being. And uh, by attrition, you know, like any animal, like all of us, we have our time on the planet. But our goal is humane control, which is actually the most effective way to reduce the number of feral cats on the street. For years and years, uh, well, for 100 years, animal control was trap and remove the cats and putting them down in um, animal control facilities. The more knowledgeable approach nowadays is you realize that is an endless cycle. It's very expensive for taxpayers and it doesn't achieve the result because mother nature can keep up faster reproducing. Cats are very prolific. You remove cats, then the remaining cats have larger litters, higher survival rates. Mother nature replaces them faster than, you know, someone if they wanted to, which, uh, you know, they couldn't trap them fast enough. But if you put them back neutered and they're not reproducing, mother nature doesn't know that. So you stabilize the population, and then there's no more growth, and by attrition, you have a smaller and smaller colony. Okay, now, are feral cats, and I've heard the term community cats, is that one and the same, or are these different kinds of... Community cat is any cat living on the street free-roaming. It may be a feral, it may be a house cat that was thrown out, escaped out the window, is lost. Feral actually describes a behavior. Feral behavior is the opposite of lap cat, house cat behavior. And just in a nutshell, what happens if a cat that's intact starts reproducing, if it gets lost or it's thrown out on the street, you know, a friendly house cat finds itself out on the street. If it starts reproducing, her litter and then her litter, subsequent litters, will not have had the experience living near humans the way she did, living indoors and being petted and sleeping on the bed and, you know, having food put down in front of her every day. So her litters are going to be wild because they will instantly learn to hunt, to be like an outdoor forest cat. Cats are remarkable in that way that in one generation, they can go back to being self-sufficient. I think animal behaviors say there are only two animals with that kind of intelligence, and it's uh, pigs and cats. 
a house pet dog will go out on the street and really be kind of defenseless. But if a pig falls off the truck on the way to uh, slaughter, or if a cat somehow escapes out the window, you know, they may have never seen a mouse in their entire life. They're hungry. They go, oh, I could eat that. And they just, you know, hit the ground running, which is why they are so prolific and so successful. So our goal, of course, would be if everybody would stay and neuter their animal, we'd be out of business, which would be, you know, the happiest day of our lives. And then secondly, if, you know, if they were so uncompassionate to throw their cat out on the street, at least it wouldn't be reproducing. But then again, if we could stop people from putting cats out on the street, we wouldn't have any feral cats. We might only have community cats if everybody was spayed and neutered, because then all the cats could be rescued and adopted. I imagine even things like chipping a cat can help a lot because I, you know, if I'm in the city and my cat gets out of my apartment, if it's not chipped, he'll probably turn feral then. But if it's microchipped, no, they so, well, they won't turn. Um, the I mean, cat, not feral, but they'll become yes. He become cat. he'll become a street citizen. Yeah, he'll have a new uh, life on the street. And uh, the problem is. He may not be accepted into, you know, he may find a feeding station where there's a feral colony that's being fed every day. But cats are very territorial, and they may chase him off. Sometimes they'll welcome a strange cat into a colony, but if he's not neutered, probably less likely. It just depends. So sometimes I think people say, oh, there's a feeding station. These cats are being cared for. I'm moving back home with my parents. I can't take my cat with me. I'll just put him out in this colony and he'll be safe and taken care of. And first of all, the cat has no idea of your, you know, your great plan, hits the ground running and, you know, never finds the feeding station or those cats chase him off. So that's a really, you know, you should never, for misplaced guilt, never place an animal on the street. Always take them to a shelter if you're going to abandon them. Now, are feral cats a problem just in the city or are they a rural problem too? They are everywhere on the planet, and they thrive. They seem to thrive. I was up in Toronto, and one of the people had just come from Banff and said they had feral cats up there with, you know, minus 30 degrees every winter. And then they survived down in the swamps of Louisiana, down in that hot, humid climate. They are, well, they have a fur coat. And, of course, they are domestic animals. They aren't really uh, meant to be living outdoors. But unlike most other animals, they can, the squirrels and the groundhogs and the, all the other animals living outdoors, of course, they survive the winter. The thing about cats is, they, of course, they don't hibernate. And they really live by their wits all through the winter. And as we know, they love warmth. So although they do survive, we really don't like seeing them out in that freezing, freezing weather. Now, what are some reasons why the feral cats or community cats and community cats, why can they be a problem? What kind of problems do they pose? Well, we encourage trap new to return so that if there is a colony that forms, someone would notice it when two cats reproduce or they see a litter of kittens, they go, oh, here's a problem. Or even if they see a stray cat, it's so rare that someone will say, oh, I wonder if that's a female cat. I wonder if she's fixed. I'd better trap her and get her fixed so we don't start a colony. You know, we usually get the call when there's, they're on the third litter and saying, oh, well, we had two cats that we liked. We were feeding them in the backyard, but now we have 25. 
And it's like, well, you know, uh, <laughs> didn't you think that was probably going to happen? <laughs> but, you know, we, all, we are all busy with our lives. And, of course, you know, the, you're raising a family or working a tough job, and the cats in the backyard really aren't in the front, your frontal lobe most of the time. But then, fortunately, a lot of uh, New Yorkers, you know, they come to our workshop. We have a training workshop. They learn about Trap New to Return. We have services to spay and neuter them. And to get back to your question, when you have 25 cats in your backyard, you may be happy feeding them and you may be providing them shelter, but your neighbors may not be necessarily thrilled with the idea because the cats are walking through everybody's yard and you're feeding them in your yard and your yard is pristine, but they're going next door, you know, to the neighbor's garden or, you know, sandbox. We provide lots of solutions for people doing community relations saying, you know, well, can we build you a little frame to go over over the sandbox so that you can put it back on when the kids aren't playing in the sandbox because we wouldn't want the cats using that as a litter box no more than you would and you just try and you know work it out among the community so that everybody can be on the same page that you know the cats will be taken care of uh, humanely but it's so much easier with community relations when those of us that have compassion for the cats address the problem as early as possible so there are as few cats as possible, then, of course, the neighbors say, oh, yeah, we have toxic-free rodent control. You know, I kind of like seeing the cats. They're no longer these nuisance behaviors of unneutered cats. They're not yowling under my window at 3 in the morning. They're not fighting, chasing each other, the unneutered males, you know, fighting and marking the territory. Um, All those nuisance behaviors go away and especially no more kittens. So they're not watching this group of cats get bigger and bigger. Two cats can go from two cats. Two years later, you could easily have a colony of 50 cats growing from within. Wow. Hey, a question. Now, what's your background? What got you involved in this whole thing with cats? Um. I've just always loved animals since uh, I was a child, but I never. I I think I thought about um, working with animals as a young child, but then I got involved in theater, and I worked in theater for 40 years. And then one time on a layoff in New York City about 20 years ago, I started working with one of the adoption rescue groups. It's called Kitty Kind now. Back then it was called Being Kind. And I was a volunteer, and then I became the volunteer volunteer coordinator. And then I got very interested and went back to school and got my um, license, New York State Veterinary Technician license. It's an associate in applied science degree. And then I started, thought about leaving working in theater. I worked 20 years at New York City Opera and thought about leaving. And I always say I'm one of the only people I know that went back to show business to make a living. I realized I could make a lot more money in theater than I could working as a a veterinary technician. So I've just been working um, voluntary uh, pro bono and then just recently took a part-time job working with the Mayor's Alliance, helping with some of these community outreach workshops and training other people in Trap New to Return. We have workshops in bottle feeding kittens. We have taming feral kitten workshop that I'm really proud of that I've developed over the last 10 years and actually started taking it around the country. We need to take a break right now for a word from our sponsors. But when we get back, I want to talk a bit about the socialization and what you can do with feral cats. So we'll be right back. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. 
Hi, this is Tim Link, animal communicator and pet expert and host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have you ever wanted to know what your pet is really thinking? Do you want to find out if they truly understand what you're trying to tell them? Ever wish you could build a better understanding and closer relationship with your pet? Well, now you can. Learning to communicate with animals is a four-part on-demand workshop. In the workshop, you'll learn the essential techniques that are necessary to communicate with animals, including what is animal communication, breathing correctly to achieve the perfect state to communicate with your animals at a deeper level, using guided meditation exercises and method to communicate with animals, and how to send and receive information from your animals. So if you're wanting to learn how to communicate and connect with your animals at a deeper level, visit PetLifeRadio.com forward slash workshop and purchase and download Learning to Communicate with Animals. You'll be glad you did. The new Dyson Animal Vacs are powerful bagless upright vacuums for homes with pets. Air muscle and radio root cyclone technology generates the strongest suction power to powerfully remove dust, dirt, and pet hair from the home or car. To order your Dyson Animal Vac, go to DysonDeals.com. DysonDeals.com to order your Dyson Animal Vac today. Dyson, music to your ears. Victoria Schaefer, aspiring actress, babysitter extraordinaire, college student, and animal enthusiast, is on her own for the first time in New York City. Follow Victoria and her two dogs, Rue and Echo, as she cares for her furry friends and juggles home life and career, all the while managing to survive in the world's most hectic city. The exciting animal adventures and secret stories from both ends of the leash that make up the tales of the city. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on PetLife Radio. PetLife Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> Welcome back to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates. I'm your host, Keith Sanderson, and our guest, Mike Phillips of the Feral Cat Initiative, which is talking about some of the things of, uh, you can do uh, about the socialization of feral cats. Mike, feral cats can be very wild, and they even be socialized. Yes, they can. And the very interesting thing I find about cats is they're one of the few creatures that are both prey and predator. So they have what's called a, the fight-or-flight instinct, which all animals have. Well, the predatory animals have a fight instinct. The uh, non-predatory animals just have a flight instinct. But a cat is always wondering, well, now is, they're always looking for their new meal. We're talking about a wild cat out in, the, out in the wild that would be looking for, you know, a mouse or something. But then they're always looking over their shoulder that there's not a larger predator having, you know, taking a beat on them. So very, very young, they develop this instinct to be wary of anything that they haven't come in contact with. So you have a short window of opportunity with kittens between about six weeks old and 10 weeks old, where the fight or flight instinct hasn't completely come into effect. And if you step in there and you start offering them food, you can, with food, begin to handle them. They'll be more trusting. They haven't developed those fears And you can tame them rather quickly. I have a technique that I've developed. Uh, There are a lot of people doing this kind of work. We can tame the kittens, put them up for adoption. And then what we were talking about earlier is if you can remove three or four litters of kittens from one of those huge colonies, the community relations are much improved. You know, the neighbors immediately see, you know, 20 kittens leave the mix 
And then they go, okay, well, these 12 adult cats, I'd kind of gotten used to them, but when I saw those 20 kittens running around, I realized it was going, you know, to hell in a handbasket in a big hurry. And also, those kittens, the caretaker, you know, it's a, it's a lifelong commitment. The caretaker would have to provide food and shelter for 20 more cats, and they can live 14, 15 years when they're well cared for on the street. 14 or 15 years, wow, that's amazing. When I got started, they told me, oh, feral cats, it's such a terrible life. They'll only live three years. And I thought, oh, well, three years, I guess I can, you know, I can certainly provide compassionate care for three years. Well, we had a colony that just now, uh, a huge colony of 75 cats. And just now, 14 years later, there are only five cats left. So that three-year theory really wasn't very accurate for a well-cared-for feral cat colony. Wow, wow. And that commitment means not going on vacation or, you know, lengthy vacations, I would imagine. Well, we encourage in, in our workshops, we have community relations workshops. And, you know, some people are very paranoid about caring for the cats because they sense that it can only take one or two people in a neighborhood of 100 people to make somebody feel like they're doing a bad thing. You know, it's like, you shouldn't feed those cats, you shouldn't do this and that. Meanwhile, there is support within the community. There are other people that would support, but of course, you know, it's the people that the standouts are the ones that are criticizing. So we always encourage people to go around, get a deep bench of support for the colony. It's, you know, it's not your colony. You didn't put those cats out on the street, you know. Find others in the community that share your, your compassion and uh, share the feeding schedule. There are people where it's, you know, one person 365 days a year feeding a colony, but we always encourage, you know, there's always someone else there. If they reach out and they're doing their public, you become the public relations rep for the colony. And uh, a lot of times, you know, people don't like to talk to strangers. They don't want to stick their neck out and they don't know what kind of a response they're going to get. But we really encourage people to, you know, approach other people, talk about the colonies, explain what you're doing, explain it in very simple terms. You know, the cats are here. I'm doing a public service. I'm spaying and neutering them to stop the reproduction. And um, we're putting them back because we don't want them to run away and we're feeding them so they'll stay here so other unneutered, unvaccinated cats won't come in. And also we'll have non-toxic rodent control. We won't have mice and rats running around our alleys the way every other square inch of New York City has. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. My daughter lives in Chicago and rodents are a problem. In fact, one of their cars, uh, rats in the winter ate the uh, wires in their engine and it was pretty expensive to get that repaired so uh, they are rodent control so that's a side benefit Uh, well and it works in an interesting way a well-fed feral cat colony you know they become kind of sedentary and they're really counting on that free meal coming every day so they're not really running after rodents and you know squirrels and chipmunks and mice and rats but what happens is you have a colony of cats living in an area those breeding female rodents, they're not going to have a nest and a litter of young, vulnerable young right near a feral cat colony. That'll just be instinct. So where the cats are, the rodents, the rats especially, because you know, have some big rats in New York, you know, they could take on a cat and they're not going to be afraid of a cat but they're not going to breed near a feral cat colony because their young are going to be tiny and vulnerable. And when the female breeding cats move out, guess who else moves out? The male cats. They follow the females, 
And it's a different dynamic than people usually imagine, but where there are cats, you don't have breeding rats and rodents. That is a good benefit. Now, if I understood you before, you were saying there's only a, a short window from six to ten weeks to socialize a feral cat? Uh, yes, and it's different in female and male. The females, because at four months old, they can have their first season, and at six months old, they could deliver their first litter of kittens. They're on a real fast track emotionally uh, developing to be able to, you know, raise a litter in the street all by themselves with no help from anybody, just on instinct and, you know, hormones and things driving them. So the male cats, they're not on that fast track. So a lot of times you can have a male kitten up to six, eight months sometimes that doesn't have a really strong fight or flight instinct. He kind of likes the caretakers, you know, you're putting the food down and they'll be, he'll be rubbing up against your legs. These are kind of generalities, but the female kittens, you really, if you have a plan to bring them in off the street, tame them and get them adopted, you really only have that short window of time before 10, 12 weeks at the most. Otherwise, it's a, a really intensive, I call it CIA interrogation. It's a really intense kind of brainwashing where you have to win them over because their instinct has already kicked in that every fiber of their being is saying, I shouldn't let this person go anywhere near me. In their brain, every encounter is a life or death situation because, they have, because they're both prey and predator. So once those patterns are set in the brain way of thinking, it's very hard to undo it. But the interesting thing I didn't mention about six weeks, they're growing so quickly at that age that the mother's milk is no longer enough nutrition so they're searching for any form of nourishment to supplement that mother's milk, which, of course, times out exactly when mother would start teaching them how to hunt. But if we as humans step in and we start providing food at that very moment where they're just craving a source of nutrition, they will, you know, they'll go right for that food and they'll allow you to sit next to them, to touch them, to pet them. You can tame them in a weekend when they're at that vulnerable food craving uh, stage, but it's only a very short time. It's about, you know, three weeks there between six and nine weeks where it's pretty easy. Anytime after that, you're going to be spending three, four weeks, three, four months. Sometimes, you know, with those female cats, they're going to be very resistant. Well, that's very interesting. Now, you share this information. I understand you, you hold feral cat workshops. Are they just in New York City or do you hold them in other cities also? Well, we fortunately got a, a grant from the Petco Foundation. It's a um, rehabilitating animals for adoption, and it's also a, a grant for dogs, and we applied for it for feral cats because it's exactly what we do. Taming feral kittens is rehabilitating them for adoption the same way you would rehabilitate an abused dog or a, uh, an aggressive dog. You're just, you know, teaching the animal that it, they needn't be afraid and they could live, you know, comfortably with humans. And that grant has allowed us to go to about 10 cities so far. Uh, we've been to Oregon and Texas and New Orleans and uh, went to even to Toronto. They have a very progressive feral cat program in Toronto. It was really exciting to see. They have a shelter building workshops twice a month, and they have a recovery center where they hold the cats and traps after surgery while they're recovering before they release them. They've really taken it to heart, and it's uh, funded by the city there in Toronto. It's really a remarkable program. Well, that's great. And are you planning on traveling to any cities in the near future? 
Well, we just finished. I just went to Cincinnati, Toronto. I had a workshop in, uh, in New Jersey at the Mount Pleasant Shelter. One more city that's suddenly escaping my my. Oh yeah, I went to um, Cedar Falls, Iowa. We had a huge group from Iowa, and uh, we are now just sort of putting together the calendar for the next series of workshops, which I think we're going to start in summer. But we have two workshops coming up in in New York City. We hold the workshops at the Midtown ASPCA offices. They're generous with their space to allow us to hold workshops there. And if you look on our website, nycferalcat.org, you'll see all the various workshops that we offer throughout the year. We have a workshop coming up about uh, forming a 501c3 corporation, preparing for uh, care, preparing your will for care for a feral colony. It's really uh, a, a wide range of different subjects we cover in the feral cat workshops. And what's that website again? NYC Feral Cat, one word, nycferalcat.org. And on the left, you'll see the events in the mar- left margin. There's a menu and you'll see events and workshops. Mike, I ask all my guests this question. With all the human suffering in the world, how can you justify spending time, money, and other resources on behalf of animals? Well, I always think, you know, we learn from a young age that compassion should be infinite. It's not that we shouldn't care for our humans. We should do that too. But I think we need to make room for compassion for everything on the earth. I think, you know, the the fish, the wildlife, the birds, you know, our own planet herself, you know, the vegetation and the oxygen, the people. For me, it's one whole. It's not one piece. And I personally... I have never quite understood how people, they have sort of one pet charity. And I know you, you know, you get a lot more done when you really focus on one thing and you really, you feel uh, you're making a contribution. But I always make the analogy of, you know, people that want their children to go to the very best schools and get the best education. And yet they couldn't care less whether the public schools are of a quality or their neighbor's children get a good education. And I just sort of never kind of understood that, you know, what people will choose cats. I have so many other interests. I'm interested in birds and especially wildlife is my real passion. And I've never understood how, you know, people could just choose one thing. Of course, you choose one thing and you work as hard as you can. But not that I have lack of compassion for children or the people in Chile right now with the earthquake. I had a dance teacher one time. Uh, I was a ballet dancer when I first started. And I went to an international uh, school in Brussels. And one of our teachers had come from Kerala, India. And he had never been out of India before. And he taught one of the um, katakali, which is one of the most disciplined dance forms. And someone said to him and said, oh, did you hear about the explosion in, you know, in Italy yesterday? And he said, uh, no, where did you hear? He said, well, I read it in the paper. He said, oh, you shouldn't do that. And then they said, what do you mean? He said, well, your heart can't take it. <laughs> he had come from India with a philosophy that, you know, you work as hard as you can compassionately to deal with your neighbors and your village and everything about your family and your immediate area, but your heart can't take knowing about all of the tragedies all around the world. Otherwise, you'll just give up, you know, with in- informed futility, I think is what they call it. But if we, you know, the classic expression, think globally, act locally, I think acting locally is the only thing that keeps us sane because, you know, there's so many reasons to give up. There's so much, you know, cruelty and there's so much hardship in the world. But there's certainly, when you see what one person can do, 
it's really kind of amazing how we somehow juggle that knowing we all the things we know, all the horrible things in the world, and yet somehow we try and make, oh, Helen, what is it Helen Keller said? I dream of making huge, fabulous gestures, but I, my life is just small, tiny works. You know, that's, that's a great answer, you know, and every guest has a, just a different take, but, it, you know, they say much the same thing, and it, I think that's one of the great things about this radio program is because we get to meet people like you and and find out, you know, diverse backgrounds, you're in, you're in show business, and, and uh, someone else may be a politician or whatever. And, you know, Mike, we've run out of time. Ah, well, you get me talking. <laughs> You're going to run out of time in a hurry. Thanks well, for listening. You know, I'm glad. Well, that's great that you had so much to share with our audience. And, and now where is it they can get information about feral cats? We have a website, nycferalcat.org, and if you're not in, right, in New York City, there's alleycat.org, which is more of a national organization, which has, has information about the feral cat programs all around the country, and you could hook up with a feral cat, or you, if you have a, a friend or relative uh, out somewhere in one of the other cities and they're interested or having a situation with feral cats, they could go to alleycat.org and find out about the local groups near them. Well, again, thanks so much for being with us today, Mike. And Max A. Pooch gives you and your colleagues five big tail-wagging wolves for the work you're doing. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) We want to thank you, our listeners, for spending your valuable time with us. You're all fantastic, and we hope you tell your friends about Awesome Animal Advocates. And a special thanks to Mark Winter, co-founder and executive producer of Pet Life Radio, and our sponsors for making this episode of Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates possible. I'm Keith Sanderson, host and creator of Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates, saying thank you to all those animal advocates who work so hard on behalf of those who can't speak for themselves. Max A. Pooch gives them five big tail-wagging woofs. Let's Talk Pets. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.